Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations with Z and Vin. And Z, today we got a really interesting topic on deck for everyone. The title of today's topic is Scrap Iron. And if you think about Scrap Iron, you can think about these old ships back in the day that had been through battle, that had been bruised, that had been stressed, and the iron was beaten down, worn out. It was recycled and used for a different purpose. And if you think about that term, when you refer to someone as scrap iron, it means that they've gone through a certain amount of hardship, they've taken some blows, they've been in uncomfortable situations, but they've survived. So that's the key thing. Whatever they've gone through, whatever they've experienced, they've come out on the other side. And when we think about what the value is of going through that sort of a challenge, there are a couple of things that jump out at me just from my own life experience. One is sometimes when you meet people, the happiest people, the most content people are the ones who've been through the greatest hardships. So they've lost someone. They know what it's like to feel hungry. They've been through war. They've been through some disease. And they come out of it. And, man, they're, they're just happy to be here. They're, they're happy that they're breathing. They're happy that they're alive. They're just content with existing. And I talk to people sometimes, and you can tell it's a certain attitude. Hey, how, how are things going? How's your day? Man, it's a great day. I woke up this morning. It's a fantastic day. I think about an aunt who I lost maybe 15 years ago. She had cancer, and it's in our family. So she knew that there was a good chance that she would get it. She got it, and she battled it for a long time, uh, for about seven years. She actually lived for at least five years longer than, than everyone expected. And at her funeral, uh, one of her oldest friends spoke about what she had been through. And she said that before she got cancer, my aunt was always terrified of getting cancer. She was always so afraid. But once she had it, she became free. It freed her of the fear of getting this disease. She had it. She knew that she could deal with it. And she attained just this this effervescence. It was incredible. I mean, in the last five or six years of her life, most of the time she was healthy. Towards the end, she declined. But she was just always such a joy to be around. She was always positive. She was radiant. She was very spiritual. Uh, She spent a lot of time at the Ramakrishna mission and attended uh, some of the missions in LA. And the people who spent time with her, a lot of them said, you know, even the, uh, the practitioners who've dedicated their lives to spirituality haven't attained the same level as my aunt had just because of the perspective that she brought just because she felt light and free. So that's an example of going through hardship and maybe being grounded by it, being tempered by it, coming out of it with a certain appreciation for the beauty, the transience of life, the fact that there are no guarantees. But but damn, if there are no guarantees, I'm going to make sure that I enjoy the time that I have, that I appreciate the moments and just the experience of Existing, which is so improbable to begin with. So there is a certain temperament that perhaps is cultivated when we go through challenge. And if you look at the flip side and you look at people who haven't been through that, you see a lot of times a certain amount of entitlement, a certain amount of pettiness. And in my mind, what I've always wondered is whether we don't have enough problems meaning that if we don't go through actual hardship, maybe there's something about the mind that just needs to create hardship. So we turn everyday drama and meaningless interactions into gargantuan problems, and we talk about them, and we stress about them, and we lament 
the situations that we've been put in, even if those situations are trivial, even if they amount to nothing, even if someone didn't validate us or they insulted us, who cares? Instead of getting on with our lives, at times we obsess over this. And I've always wondered that, is it because we just haven't been through anything uh, that we need for some reason to face hardship and face challenge? And if we don't do that in reality, we do it in some mental capacity and we invent the things that we don't face in real life. So these are just some of the thoughts that have been going through my mind over the years. And as you brought up this topic, I I thought it was very interesting. I wanted your perspective on this. Uh, It seems like our perspectives are somewhat aligned. But kick us off, see, give us your thoughts on going through challenge. What does that do to a person? How does that benefit us? Well, I'll share my observation, and I'll also share some of the metaphors. When we talk about the metal of a person, the metal, the steel, the iron, the gold. Your metal is what you're made out of, a biochemical and also a metaphorical level. What, how do you weather the ravages of time and space in this moment that we live in? And also it goes to the places, why do you need to go through that? Well, Pain and discomfort is the way that our various intellects are initiated. If you had no challenges, there would be no reason to learn or grow. The inquisitiveness of a child triggers their exploration. That exploration triggers challenge. That challenge triggers intellectual development in order to innovate, adapt, and figure things out. Like pain, It teaches us not to overeat and not to eat certain foods that will bring you pain and discomfort. The pain of fire will tell us to draw away from that heat, manage the fire, regulate the fire, find ways to master fire. Thus, it's created all the inventions from the automotive, automobile engine, aircraft engine to nuclear reactor because we, we, instead of running from fire like a crazed animal, we learn to harness fire because the pain and the suffering and the ravaging that fire caused. We, our intellect was pushed through hardship, through challenge. Being awkward in a situation, that discomfort of the ego teaches you to adapt. Doesn't always mean that it's, it's, it's in a high frequency act, but it does push for you to adapt. And so there is a place in nature for pain, for discomfort, in order tempering the metal of you as a person. In order to temper metal, you have to heat it up and stress it and then cool it off suddenly. You have to take it through a lot of stress. So when you get really hard tempered steel, it's been forged in a hot fire and then suddenly cooled off. And that makes it very hard. It's no longer as malleable. There are other steels that are softer that remain a bit malleable because they didn't put them under that much stress. So you want to understand that the stresses, when those stresses are mitigated, what's left of you. Now, we should not be under constant, moderate stress. That's unhealthy. Constant, moderate, negative stress is unhealthy. Those are the stresses of pettiness in daily life, just the sheer pettiness of human interaction. Ego dalliances, who's right, who's wrong. You said this, I said that, I'm better, you're not, you're wrong. Resentment, those are all petty stresses that when you are around a person who maybe hasn't been through a lot in life, those petty stresses hold a great value to them. The one upsmanship. You see that in work environments. You see that in uh, scholastic environments. You see that in intimate relationships. Who gets back at who? Who holds a grudge against who? And then who can subdue the other? These are very, very petty stressors that actually undermine the metal of you. It is like rust on, on metal. It's like oxidation on metal. It does it no good. But that, that nice heat and that cooling and that polishing, that's what makes it good. The polishing is the refinement of the character. 
the hot and cold, the, 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 the stresses of it are what cultivates it on a cellular level, just like people. Meet a person who's been through a lot in life, learn something through it, and you really enjoy their company. They tend to find joy in places where you don't. They tend to be completely present when you're not. They show gratitude for the simplest of things because they know, they know that life is transient, it is fragile, it's temporary, it's fleeting, all things. You'll see that a person who's been through a lot, um, the people that I've met have been through a lot, when they love, they love very deeply. I have a buddy who was a political prisoner and another buddy who um, had a similar fate. And when they came through those struggles of many years and they got back with their beloved or they met their beloved, uh, one of them I know, he's been married for probably 50 years. Um, he's just turning 70. Married his beloved on his way to prison. She stayed with him during his prison time as a political prisoner endured all sorts of hardships, harassments, and everything. And when he came out uh, a decade later, um, they married, he started a family. And if you meet them to this day, you think they had just got married. It's like they're on their honeymoon every day. Every day, you would swear you just met a, a high school lovers. Because they understood from that 10 years of suffering, the value of the company of a person that has your soul at heart. So this is a common formula. It is regrettable that most of us don't learn from these examples. It is a regret that we don't learn from the funeral of the person that died a bit too young. From the tears and the pain and the wailing of those left behind, it's a shame we don't learn. When you move about the world and you see the madness on airlines, the yelling, the screaming, the anger, and only a generation or so ago, the fact that the plane could get up in the air and land was a reason to party. Just the fact that we arrived safely based on the laws of aerodynamics, the theory of flight, theory of flight. We made it safe to our journey. People would actually applaud. I don't know. You may have seen this yourself in travels, Vin. They used to land planes in India. People would clap. Every time the plane landed, there would be just a roaring applause. The idea of someone fighting on the plane, arguing, bickering, yelling, screaming, it, it was none of that was there. That is because the pain of loss, the devotion and reverence for those who were lost and the pain that that very devotion brought us, the suffering, right? The, um, just the acknowledgement, the flagellation of devotion that was brought to us by knowing who suffered gave us reverence for the fact that we could travel, come and go, and we would be safe. And we never took it for granted. So I'm going to the soul of the metal. What are you made of? What's your character? And it, you, you answer that question not with your ego, but what have you been through in life that you had to weather, that puts you on fire? And then when that thing was over, the coolness of the day forged you. So the next time something comes up, you're ready. Or the next time that event comes up, you, you, you can make a better decision because you know what this is like. You know where this will go. People go through things. They go through the loss of a family member, the loss of a dear beloved one. They go through a life-threatening disease that may alter the course of their life. I see people who have had amputations and I look at them and say, my God, that person's got an arm or leg taken away in some form of accident or due to uh, some sort of disease, and they got up the next day without a limb. 
They went through such pain and then they said, you know what? I'm going to make the best of my life. And they tend to be more outgoing, happier than those of us who are what we call able-bodied. Have you ever noticed that? Say, good God, how do you do it? Walk down the street, somebody in wheelchairs trying to knock you over to get somewhere. My God, I'm complaining just because my back hurts. I'm complaining because my latte wasn't right at Starbucks. And here's somebody driving a wheelchair with their head running me over. So they're, they've gone through something in life that has forced them to understand what we are ignorant of. That life is precious, it's a gift, and it's a fleeting moment, and anything can happen. I hear every day people bickering, arguing, fighting, angry. Don't you know that this can end in a moment? Don't you know what the Buddha asked us to do? Meditate on the people that you love the most dying, the most horrific de death. Now get on with your day. Damn it, what, what could be clearer than that? If people understood that, there wouldn't be all these political arguing. Do you understand that where this always has led to? Throughout the history, known history of humanity, where has political partisanship led a society? Civil wars, infighting, and at the end of all that, who benefited? The politicians who started it. So why do we keep doing it? Because we lacked in our own individual character, the metal, the intestinal fortitude. We missed the opportunity to learn from suffering. A missed opportunity. We shielded ourselves from discomfort until everything is uncomfortable. We shielded ourselves from hardship so everything's a hardship. We shielded ourselves from true intimacy so no intimacy exists at all. We kept protecting ourselves and protecting ourselves and bubble wrapping our children and bubble wrapping ourselves so that we could never feel life. So when life unwrapped us and we were exposed to the elements of nature, we couldn't take it. We couldn't take it. So it's important for us, for those of us who have opted out, to embrace our discomfort, our suffering to reject the sense that we feel entitled to a life of Riley, a life that nothing happens. It's important for us to go about and find days where we are in gratitude. You look at your children or your friends or the people you know and give them a call and say, just thinking about you. I'm so fortunate that everybody is okay. You ever go in the bedroom at night and look at your kids just to look at them. And right after you saw a movie or something about a bunch of kids dying or a parent losing their child and it shakes your world and you just couldn't imagine being without them. Go in there and look at them imagine the world without them. Imagine how much that would hurt. Then think about how you treat them the next day. What about when you're mad at your husband or wife or you, 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 you want to play some ego game with them? What would your life be without them? Would you rather them be gone? And if you would rather them be here, why don't you treat them like that? How about your friends, associates, people you want to work with? Did you tell them you valued them? Do you ever say thank you? You know me, Vin. I always tell you at the end of the phone call, hey, love you, man. So if you didn't know, and if I wasn't sure, Let's that be clean. Because what is love but unsolicited devotion? You don't love people for their sake. You love people for your sake. You love people because they bring you into the bosom of humanity, into the great mother. But you avoid love if you want to avoid loss. And if you avoid love and loss, then you need to hide. You, you, you're not living at all. You don't have the character to live. 
and you'll find your life and yourself in an endless pursuit of shallowness. Then you'll find that things that are insignificant and petty and inconsequential will define your whole character. You'll be like somebody on a bad game show waiting for the DNA results. Is it my baby? You'll be like one of those people, right? The level of pettiness. You'll be in long conversations about the bad waiter or waitress at the local bistro. You'll find yourself on an airline punching out some 90-year-old who reclined in your seat or something. This is where pettiness is taking us. This is where the metal is soft. Un unusable. Truly a person of no character. So we can work on our metal, but to do that, we have to do just like in nature. We have to put it under pressure and heat. You think about nature in every aspect of life. They talk about a person with a heart of gold. What makes gold different than lead? It's the impurities in gold that make lead has no impurities. It is the end result of nuclear meltdown from a million years ago, there's nothing in it but dense coldness, and it sucks life out of everything. Lead. But think about a diamond. A diamond is a piece of coal put under tremendous pressure and heat for a long time until it's pushed up into the earth and spewed out as this beautiful gem. So if you want to be a diamond amongst humanity. You have to follow the course, the alchemy of the diamond. Have you been under pressure for a while? Have you felt the heat? Have you sat in it for a while so it purified you? So it pushed all toxins out of you? It made your ego bleed? It starved your ego to death? And when you finally came up and saw the sun, you said, wow, this is a glorious day. This is beautiful. I'm no longer in the dark. I can see and I'm going to enjoy this because I remember the long, dense, dark, cold pressure that created me. And when you meet those diamonds with a heart of gold, you see it right away. They're not comparing themselves to others. They're at peace with who they are and more so, they're at peace with you. They accept you as you are. Or for those sad souls that think life goes on forever and you can waste day in, waste day out, engaged in pettiness and the doldrums of egocentrism. You see that and you see them and you feel sad for them. You say, I want to surround myself with, with diamonds and gold. I want to be around those people. I want to be that kind of person. I want to take whatever trauma, misstep in life I've been through and learn from it and gain from it. I want to take every person that I miss and I want, to, I want them to be part of my essence. I want to reflect upon the people that I love, that are long gone, that love me. I want to think about the people that have my back, that give me the time of day, that acknowledge my humanity. We live in interesting times. You know, pedestrian deaths are going up in the United States severely, where it's actually a public health concern. And why are they going up? People don't see each other anymore as human beings. What they see in their smart device is more important than what they see emanating from the sun. They don't see other human beings. They don't see nature. They stumble into the street immersed in their smart device in front of a car being driven by somebody immersed in their smart device, really the dumb device, and they kill each other. They end the life because there is so little virtue and value for humanity. We're losing our character collectively. And it's consuming life. These accidents can't be resolved with technology. They're going to try. 
They're going to hook your smartphone up to a network of other smartphones so they know when they're going to clash and it'll suddenly hit the brakes on a car or sound a warning at an intersection. That's not how you fix it. All you're going to do is there's going to be a newer problem. Pretty soon we'll ignore the sirens. Maybe we override the safety mechanism. I don't know. But let your pain, let your, let the forge of life turn you into good metal. Turn you into a diamond. Make you have a heart of gold. That's my thought, Ben. So if I summarize some of what you've said, Z, part of the perspective is just being willing to engage with life and not be in this mode that we find ourselves in where we're shying away from pain and discomfort because those things have some value. To your point, they forge our character. They put us under a certain amount of pressure. And we come out, I don't even know if stronger is the right word, but we come out maybe with more texture, with better perspective, better able to to weather the ups and downs of life. And if I think about this more generally, some of the other things you said were even if we aren't directly going through pain at a particular point in time, we can practice gratitude. We can do what the Buddha said. We can meditate on the death of those around us. We can imagine pain, even if we're not directly experiencing that pain. And to me, it seems that both of those things, whether it's actually going through situations that really test us and and make us suffer, or it's just imagining that suffering and putting ourselves in a state of gratitude, there's a certain immediacy to that. So it's kind of like when you see what the other side is, when you either experience horrific situations or you contemplate horrific situations, that puts you in the present, that gives you an appreciation for what's happening right now, you can contrast that with reality or with a different kind of reality. So if you've been through a war, you're in the present and you're recognizing immediately that the situation you're in now is totally different. You can live, you can relax, you can thrive. You wake up in the morning and you meditate on death. You realize that this life could be ripped away at any instant. Again, that immediately puts you in the present and that puts you in a vantage point where you appreciate the opposite, the fact that we're not there yet. We're not dead. We have this opportunity to live, to exist, to create, to engage, to do all the things that make us human. So just being present, I mean, it's almost like what we're talking about, in a certain sense, the value of challenge is that direct visceral experience. We go through pain. We go through suffering. It brings us back to right now. We're able to see very clearly what's going on, and we're able to appreciate what we have. We're able to roll with the punches. We can put inconveniences in the proper perspective. We don't blow them out of proportion. Whereas if you contrast that with how a lot of us behave today, uh, we're in this constant anxiety mode. We're in an environment where we're immersing ourselves in the ethersphere, in digital devices, in texts, in videos, in all forms of stimulation, the mind is never here. It's never focused. It's all over the place. And that's when small problems turn into big problems and trivial interactions become major dramas that define us and prevent us from moving forward or appreciating what we have. So, so much of this to me seems to be just cultivating that mindset that we often talk about. Be here. Whatever you're doing at that given moment, make sure that you are in it. Make sure that you are present. Make sure that you are actually living. And then a lot of the distractions and the pettiness will fall away. It loses meaning. It loses relevance. So a couple of things for our audience to consider. And one one additional area, Z, that I want your perspective on, we've talked about challenge and going through hardship as a way to forge character and come out stronger. But there's another side to this, and we talked about this a bit offline before we started the podcast. 
which is there's a certain balance between people who've been through challenge and people who haven't. So if you take a bunch of people who've all been through war, maybe they're all hanging out and they're like, wow, you're alive. I'm surprised that you're alive. I'm surprised you're not dead. I'm surprised that our entire city hasn't burned to the ground. Uh, There's a certain mindset that they're in, maybe expecting that things are going to collapse. You sometimes do that. I mean, you've never had an expectation that society is sustainable. So the pandemic and the fact that we shut down and the fact that uh, people were worried about where they were going to get food, whether they could buy milk and basic supplies at grocery stores, this didn't surprise you at all. You've always had that mindset. But the flip side of that is that maybe you're a little more dire at certain times than you need to be. Uh, Maybe there's more harmony if you balance that perspective with the perspective of someone who hasn't been through that challenge. Talk about that a bit, uh, about that interplay between the different types of people and the different experiences that we have. Ravin, I think it's important for us to always have something that's our, our harmony biaser in our life, something that's a little different than the way we think or the way we see the world so that we can really think and see the world clearly. No one view is the absolute right view. No one way is the absolute right way. So in order to find the way, as Lao Tzu said, the straightest path is a bit crooked. It's good to have those harmony biasers in our life. It's good for the person who has a disconnect from life as a whole to have someone who's connected. It has it does well for someone who is very connected to the rawness of life to have somebody who is more esoteric, more artistic, more uh, lighthearted in order to turn the tension down, so to say. I think about sharing a dwelling with people at different times in my life and they've never had robberies or hardships and you come to the house, the door's unlocked and the windows are wide open, all this kind of stuff and they just throw the door open for strangers and you go, oh my God, don't do that. And then they, they, they've never experienced it, then they'll have a hardship and then they become extremely traumatized by it. And for those who've been through it, you have like 10 padlocks on your door, the windows are, are bolted and shut and there's all sorts of security going on but you're paranoid. You're constantly paranoid. So you want to find something that regulates that down and moderates it a little bit. That's your harmony biaser. You want to be around children who are the ultimate harmony biasers. Children can fall, hurt themselves, get up and let it go. You can be, uh, kids will get into an argument with each other and they'll make friends the next day. They'll make up, they'll figure it out, they'll manage. So they have built into them those harmony biasers to keep them okay. Then as we get a little harder, a little stiffer in life, um, we're not able to be as flexible and fluid. We're not as harmonious as uh, we would like to be. So I'm always an advocate of that. If you're more of a scrap iron type person, it's not bad for you to be around people who are virgin steel, you know what I mean? And have never had anything go on because they can reference you on where you want to be. I'd like to be in that frame of mind. I'll never be there. But I like to feel like that. I like to just go somewhere and relax and not be on guard, not be on alert. And for them, it's good for them to go somewhere and be a little more alert, a little more aware, a little more devotional. And in the middle, that's what happens. We become much more devotional. You think about the old saying that says the idle mind is the devil's workshop. So in all philosophies, idle mindedness creates a void in which will be filled by what's known as the chitta vritta, the mind junk, the pettiness. When you find that you are indulging in pettiness, develop a regulator, monitor, you know, I'm really petty. Because that petty thing will cost you as much as a great thing. Petty things can cost your life. Think about the people bickering over seats in the airline to the point where they're on no fly list and and they always say, wow, I was being so petty. I wish someone would have stopped me from being so petty. I know people who are on in, in therapy now and preparing for divorce because of a petty argument they had years ago that they're still trying to fight. I know people who won't go to a clinician because of a petty 
fear they have of the prognosis. Pettiness. There are people who create enemies every day when they're dealing with their local restaurateur, their car dealer or mechanic, just through rudeness. I was talking to a young man the other day who every week has a story of a conflict that he gets into with some sort of a commissioned help. And I told him, I said, man, you ever thought about why you have these conflicts with people? He says, no, well, they were wrong. They told me this and told me that. And I said, your response. You right away wave in their face that you paid them for services. And then you want them to push you to the front of the line, treat you much better than other people, and then you constantly remind them of what they owe you. The very fact that you're reminding them that they are indebted to you makes you unlikable. It opens you up to petty conflict. You do that to exert power over them. You use the exchange of commerce to exert power over them. And they're not going to like you because of that. What if you use kindness to help move your process through? Tolerance, consideration, which costs nothing. But it puts you in a position where you have no authority or no perceived authority. I paid you so you better do it this way. I paid you, I demand that you do this or that. I've told you the story of years ago, I had a girlfriend who, whenever we went into a restaurant, she would send the food back. No matter what it was, no matter what. She'd look at the menu, it was never right, right? She'd want to adjust the menu, you know that. Well, I want this and it says this, but can I get it with um, Moldovian cottage cheese instead of, you know, goat cheese? And can I get lettuce from Texas instead of lettuce from Kansas? Do you have that? No, fuck it. This is what we got. It's on the damn menu. Go home and cook. How about just go home and cook if you want it that way? But there are people like that. And that one moment of relevance... The person will kindly say, the restaurateur told me, I came in there by myself, and he said, man, Z, I dig you, I, I, you're a cool dude. I ran into you at the gym, uh, you gave me a ride to work one day, you're cool, I know what you like, I always put your order first, but I gotta tell you, uh, I wouldn't share food with your girlfriend. I said, yeah, I get you. Yeah, because the people hate her here. They hate her here. They hate her. Because they work so hard in that kitchen. And they know. So what they started doing was just sending the wrong order out in the first place, knowing she was going to send it back. They would just send someone else's order and show it to her, and she would demand it go back, not even knowing. And at one point, they said they were just uh, spitting in her food. Just got that bad. And I didn't want to out the restaurant. So I asked my girlfriend, I said, hey, why do you always send the food back? Well, I need to let them know that I'm in charge here. I said, really? That's weird. That lets them know you're in charge? Yeah, I pay their rent. I, I pay their salary. And I need them to look and know that when they serve me. I said, you think that works? You really think that works? That you make people hate and despise you. Thus they will do your bidding. Yeah, well, that's one way of leading. That's one way. But in that moment, the pettiness. So let us be very careful about when we're petty. Petty with servants of all kinds, because that tells who you are. Petty with your partner, because they're going to die. And nobody else will put up with your shit. So treat them like gold. Petty with your friends. You're lucky to have friends. You're lucky somebody freaking likes you. So you should act like you're really lucky that you have a damn friend. You're not, you don't deserve a friend. You're not entitled to a friend. Be cool. Don't be petty. Be of good metal. Have a spine. An up, be an upright person. Take and weather the storms of life like a, 
a, a glorious battleship. Don't be petty. You follow me, Ben? Yeah, Z, I follow you completely. And as you're talking, there, there are images which are coming into my mind. So for each one of these things, like if you complain about food, I imagine someone who's starving, who's been through a famine, and <laughs> they're just happy to eat anything. They're like, wow, I got a meal. I'm lucky to have a meal. You take someone who's drowning. They're just happy to breathe. Uh, you take someone who's been through some disease, uh, through cancer, through war. They're happy to be alive. Uh, you got someone who's been homeless. They're happy to have a roof over their head. So, so much of this is perspective. This idea of rejecting entitlement, everything I'm hearing you saying or say around pettiness to me is around entitlement versus non-entitlement versus gratitude and just being grateful for what you have. And that gratitude seems to come from a recognition of how things could be, of how it doesn't have to be the case that you're the one with the money and you're ordering people around. It could be the case that you have no job and you're out on your ass and no one cares about you and they're not returning your phone calls and you don't know if you're going to survive until the next day. That's also a reality. But that reality is so far sometimes from our minds that we get into this mode of entitlement. And the more that we have, the more that we want, the more we expect. Another problem that this leads to that we've talked about is relative comparison. So we forget about absolute standards. An absolute standard is damn, I've got some food, my belly is full, I'm good. A relative comparison is, yeah, you know what? I went to a restaurant, I ate a $400 meal, but I wasn't at the table that was at the exact center of the restaurant, and they didn't give me service as quickly as I wanted. And by the way, I know someone else who has made more money than I have, and they don't even have to deal with a the restaurant. They fly in their own private chef from Paris, and how come I can't do that? So that's another disease of the mind uh, where we lose perspective on what we actually need and we, we look for validation. We start comparing ourselves to others and we end up in this pettiness and we forget that we could be in a situation where we're facing real hardship. So when I think about this, Z, it seems like a lot of the value of going through hardship is just that perspective, that constant awareness of how things could be of how we're not entitled to anything, uh, to any amount of comfort, even to our own survival. Uh, you know, we live in a day and age where basic necessities are taken care of uh, for most people in this country. Uh, you can go back in the past and you didn't know where your next meal was going to come from. You don't know if you would be attacked uh, by uh, some, some warring tribe or some animal would take you out or you would have a disease and there was no medical care and you can explain why this happened. So there is this entire spectrum of experience. And if you look at that spectrum and keep that spectrum in mind and focus on where we are, you might say, wow, this is phenomenal. But as your perspective shrinks and gets more and more narrow and you stop thinking about that entire array and you just focus on these smaller and smaller points and start to compare yourself uh, to someone who's slightly ahead on whatever your desired measure is of success, that's when we go insane. Uh, that's when we lose all grip on reality. Uh, so if we think about that as, as maybe just a human tendency, and we as opt-outs want to step away from that sort of mental disease, that pettiness, that entitlement, that relative comparison, yeah, maybe one way to do it is we go through a lot of hardship and we've just always got that perspective, and we've always got that gratitude. But then you could say, okay, maybe we haven't gone through any serious challenges. Maybe we've gone through some difficult times, uh, but we haven't experienced famine. We haven't experienced war. How do we cultivate the same mindset? Uh, how do we get ourselves to the point where we've got an appreciation of the fact that we have a lot more than we're entitled to. We're really not entitled to anything. Life is transient. We can appreciate what we have. 
how do we do that without just always being in these dire conditions? Well, well, Vin, it's about character development. Character includes empathy. To be able to understand the way of another, the experience of another, to be able to have that, that mental development, that level of intelligence, that emotional intelligence, where you can learn from the mistakes of others, you can learn from the hardships of others. You, you lack that emotional intelligence when you don't see that. They have in every spiritual belief that I've studied, there is a comparative idea that's always spoken in different ways, but it's the same thing. They said that the rich man's chance of entering heaven is pretty much like a camel fitting through the eye of a needle. Why do they say that? Is it the money? Is it the wealth? No, it's none of that. It's the character. The lack of character prevents you from rising to higher levels of, of cosmic consciousness and cosmic um, convergence. It's not, it doesn't mean that if you have wealth, you're a bad person. It means as you look for that station in life, your pursuit of that takes you further and further away from what's important. As you said, there's no reason you should sit in a restaurant paying $400 for a meal and complain about any damn thing. You should really think about why you're spending $400 on a meal. And just like you said, in the Philippines, they have a service that grinds up the garbage and the waste food from garbage cans, puts it into small bags that are affordable by the common person, and it's considered a delicacy, where they've mushed up every type of thrown away food and turned it into a bag of something that people happily eat. So I'm not saying you should go do that. I'm saying be glad that you're not in that situation. Don't be petty. And the way you check yourself, if you, you find yourself complaining about a $400 meal, you're petty. If you find yourself pet, worried about where you sat in a restaurant, you're petty. And the more petty you are, the more petty you become, and the further you get away from having character. And without character, you have nothing but this, the limits of this world. You'll never rise above the low limits because you'll never find contentment. You will be in the, you will be in the domain of petty, the low world, the walking dead, as they say. Look around. What are you really mad about? Your belly's full, got a roof over your head. Everybody you know is A-OK. -okay. What are you mad about? Or with your loved ones, what's, why, why do you treat them so poorly? Show gratitude. They'll be dead soon enough. Don't worry about whatever you're mad about. How about while they're here, just enjoy them? So that's one thing. Just be on guard through, through the pettiness. Be on guard for your gratitude. Be on guard for those pursuits. So build the character. That's what I'd say, Van. You follow me? Yeah. Yeah, I like that advice, Ian. And I'll just add one thing to it. We really need to think about our standards for life because so often we just go along with what other people are doing. And as we've talked about, this follow-along mentality leads to outcomes which are totally insane. So if we're at a point where we have everything and we have enough to meet our basic needs and it's still not enough – and we are still finding things to complain about, to me, that says that nothing is ever enough, that we're rejecting life. We're rejecting the entire concept of life. We're basically admitting that none of this is good enough for us. None of this is going to satisfy us. We might as well take ourselves out. And then you ask, okay. And you're severely mentally ill. Yeah. Yeah, you're mentally ill. And then you can even ask yourself, so let's say you don't recognize you're mentally ill. You might say, okay, do I want to, do I want to die or do I want to be on this planet? And think about the times when you are afraid of losing someone close to you. Think about 
the times when you felt threatened and, and, and you get through a difficult period and you say, oh, my God, I've been given another chance. I'm still here. I still have an opportunity. Uh, everyone who has a near-death experience comes back with this renewed appreciation for life. I mean, there's something that is so fundamental in all of us that just wants to live and just wants to be. And maybe in a sense, that's really what we need to tap into. Maybe that's what the hardship teaches us. But as you're saying, Z, if we can put the pettiness aside, put some checks on the pettiness, maybe even have an actual checklist and say, am I okay? What is really the problem? What is lacking? Am I safe? Do I have the people that I care about close to me? Am I fed? Okay, things are pretty good. I'm not being attacked. I'm not being hunted down. I can breathe. I can relax. I can inhale. I can enjoy this time that I have. Maybe it's going through that discipline, systematically going through a list of what we need versus what we have and getting back to reality. Because uh, so much of this, as we're talking about it, you're right, it's a form of insanity. It's where we lose perspective, we lose a sense of what we need, we lose a sense of being present and a connection to our immediate experience, and it's just an endless litany of complaints. So the more of that reality check that we can build in, I think the more we can drop that pettiness, and hopefully we can get to that point of contentment and gratitude without having to go through an experience where we see someone killing our loved ones or we lose a limb or go through some other tragedy. Um, Maybe in a sense, that's really what we need to tap into. Maybe that's what the hardship teaches us. But as you're saying, Z, if we can put the pettiness aside, put some checks on the pettiness, maybe even have an actual checklist and say, am I okay? What is really the problem? What is lacking? Am I safe? Do I have the people that I care about close to me? Am I fed? Okay, things are pretty good. I'm not being attacked. I'm not being hunted down. I can breathe. I can relax. I can inhale. I can enjoy this time that I have. Maybe it's going through that discipline, systematically going through a list of what we need versus what we have and getting back to reality. Because uh, so much of this, as we're talking about it, you're right, it's a form of insanity. It's where we lose perspective, we lose a sense of what we need, we lose a sense of being present and a connection to our immediate experience, and it's just an endless litany of complaints. So the more of that reality check that we can build in, I think the more we can drop that pettiness, and hopefully we can get to that point of contentment and gratitude without having to go through an experience where we see someone killing our loved ones or we lose a limb or go through some other tragedy. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.